Good morning and welcome to Five Alive. It's another beautiful morning here in October. Mahali, Chandigarh, Punjab, and we are going to be studying the Word of God today found in John chapter 11, continuing on the story of Lazarus has been sick, Martha has come to Jesus, Mary is going to come to him in the scripture passage we read today, and as a result of some of what we've been reading and what we've been studying, I want to look at the identifying, the sharing, and the in common characteristics that God, our Heavenly Father, has with us. One of those characteristics we saw in John chapter 2 when Jesus was uh, celebrating a wedding feast with some of his friends. We sometimes can get to the point where we feel like, wow, God's celebratory. That's so cool. He celebrates with us. He's joyful with us. That's awesome. And that's exactly what happens in John chapter 2. We also have in the moments of sorrow and pain and discomfort, Jesus identifying with those moments with us as well, as we'll read today in John chapter 11, a post-funeral morning, a sorrow-filled moment. These connectors to us show us that in moments of joy and in moments of sorrow, my master Jesus recognizes and identifies exactly with me. There, He is a part of me and I am a part of him. Last night we were playing basketball, Xavier and I, with a, with a bunch of other people. And as we were playing, Xavier got fouled by somebody. And for the first time in a couple of weeks, he yelled out, foul. And with, the way he did it, Everybody just started laughing. And the reason they started laughing is because they said, he sounds exactly like you, Matt, whenever he yelled foul. It is uncanny how similar, how identifiable his voice is to yours. And it was really a funny moment. Take that and let's look at the way Jesus is with us. He identifies with us and the things that we experience, he also experienced. I mean, this is deeper than just, you know, the sound of a person's voice. Jesus experiences things with us as we experience them. And he's right there with us in those sorrowful moments. That's what we're going to discuss a little bit today. I want to look at Hebrews chapter five and just see the way that Jesus does these kinds of things and why he does them so that we can draw from them the beautiful message of Christ as our redeemer, our savior, and our Lord. Aisha, will you read Hebrews chapter five, verse one? Every high priest is selected from among the people and it's appoint, appointed to represent the people in matters related to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Wonderful. And then we're going to continue on in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 through 9. Mallory. Who in these days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared through he or or a son yet learned his obedience by the things which he suffered and being made perfect he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obeyed him wonderful this is god's word 
in speaking to us as when we look at God, sometimes we have this forethought of he's on a higher level, a higher dimension, a higher plane than we are. And so therefore he doesn't identify with us. But yet, as we can see, not only in John chapter two, John chapter 11, but also this in Hebrews chapter five, he identifies with us and brings us as more than God. He's not just like a puppet master holding us, uh, the strings of us as his puppets. We're not, uh, controlled by him as a uh, computer engineer who writes a code and then we follow his programming, but we have our own free will. And through our own free will, God also identifies with us in those moments. He is supportive of us. He understands us. He's glad when I'm glad. He's filled with sorrow when I'm filled with sorrow. These things help make God greater to me personally as Matt Rollins. It make me greater to me than even any other God could ever possibly be. Because when I look at the false gods, when I look at the idols, I see them as not identifying with me in any capacity. But when I look to Jesus, my master, my savior, my Lord, I can see him going through moments just as I go through moments. I can identify with where he's at and he can identify with me. And we're, we're seen prayerfully as one. Like when I'm out in, com- in the community, when I'm at work, when I'm at a, you know, visiting school or something like that. Uh, Xavier took the SA- ACT last week and I-, I went there. Hopefully people identified Xavier as my son, but they hopefully also identify Christ and me, not because I'm sitting going, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, but because of the way I walk, because of the way I talk, because of the way I love people, prayerfully they identify me with Christ and Christ with me in those moments so that that way we are basically synonymous. I, I remember Aisha was telling a story the other day. She tried to come in uh, the gate and the guard stopped her and she tried to call. It's five o'clock in the morning and she's like, why am I calling my uncle when, <laughs> when uh, you, you, know, you can fully well see that I, I'm here? And so what she did was she pulled out a photograph of uh, uh, all of us together as a family and they saw that and they're like, oh, I know them. Oh, you're, oh you are together. The, the, the five of you are one family. And she's like, yes, we're one family. And that's the way we want Jesus to see and identify Uh, in our lives is that we are a part of him and he is a part of us. And so I just have a couple of questions. Can you describe a moment possibly when another person identified with you? I can relate to that one. When someone goes through a miscarriage, there's like many identifiers. Many women will say, I had a miscarriage too. Sometimes you'll receive notes. I had a miscarriage as well. Because in that moment of losing a baby, Mm -hmm. it's like, I think I'm the only person that's ever gone through this. You think of that in that moment, but you know there are others who have um, endured a miscarriage. So those are identifying moments of when women step up and say, hey, I've had one as well. And not only that, it was like a identifier even with the husband. You know, yes, my wife had a miscarriage. I know what it's like to have a loss of a baby. And then even in the grandparent side of grandparents of, yes, my daughter or my daughter-in-law had a miscarriage. And I know what you're going through as a grandmother or a grandfather. That would be a big identifier that comes to my mind Mm -hmm. that really pulled um, a newness of new friendships. Yeah. Excellent example. Excellent. Well, since... We're in India now. So last year, I was pretty upset that we'd have to leave Addison, my older sister, 
in America. Even though no, I was I younger, I was close to her, but then the older we got, the more we were like less close, I feel. But that year, whenever we were in the U.S., I was able to get to know her better, and we became closer, and I was upset that we'd have to leave her. I met a guy who was really, he was really solid in his faith in Christ, and he told me that he's gone through the same thing too. Like, his brother's left for college, and he'd grown up with them for so long, that, and then they left him, and he just felt sad. And he told me one of the greatest things, like, of advice that I think I've ever heard, it's not going to get any easier. <laughs> it's not going to get any easier. You just got to trust in God and stay in contact because we have technology now that we can stay in contact. All right. Another question, and that is, how do we identify people who are alike? So one of the ways Blair was bringing up is through conversation. I had a miscarriage, and so therefore other people who have had miscarriages, they develop a friendship as a result. So through conversation is one of the, one of the ways, uh, are there any other identifiers that bring people into a likeness or into a close bond of identifying with each other as similarities? Yeah. And maybe you have the same last name Okay. or you may have a, a name in common, whether that's like your first or middle name. So I would say names bring people together. Yeah. Um, Certain characteristic, not characteristics. I meant like, uh, yeah, physical characteristics, people, assume you're similar just because of hair color, face shape, nose, eye color, the way you stand, the way you walk, mm -hmm. and people assume, or even if you are related, they still assume that you're related just because of how you look and other stuff like that. Absolutely. And it's hobbies also. Hobbies, mm -hmm. yeah. Absolutely. 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 Here in India, sometimes the way the person's dressed, like their village clothes, we can identify where they're from because of the type of clothes they wear, or the type of hat that is worn by the, the male in the, in the family or the sari that the woman wears. Mm -hmm. Odors like perfumes. I, I was thinking uh, the other day, Aisha and I were talking about the bakor that the Muslims wear when they come through the airport. And she's like, I always know that they've come from a certain part of the Middle East because there's different scents. Uh, different odors that they have as a result of uh, the perfumes that they're wearing. What about language? Language is an identifier. People see somebody, they speak to them in the language they assume that they're going to be able to speak. Yeah. And if they if they do, then great. If they don't, then that's a, oh, I'm not like them because my language is different. Uh, multiple sightings of the group of people being together, like a group of friends. We see them at Starbucks and then we see them at Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf. We see them at Cafe Coffee Day. We see them at, and they're always the same group of people together. So they must be, uh, there must be a close bond. So we see those as identifiers. Anything else? I mentioned joy and sorrow as two ways that Jesus identifies with us, his creation. Can you share any other ways that Christ has shown you that he's a part of your life other than joy and sorrow? He cares. Yeah, absolutely. He's a listening ear when no one is there. Mm. He's a provider, yeah. provides even in the times of need. Yeah. I mean, I remember just growing up as a, as a child and... I had invited a friend over to stay the night and we had no food in our refrigerator or freezer. And I asked my mom, I was like, so mom, Michelle's going to come over today. She's like, yeah, yeah. And I was like, we have no food. And she goes, it's okay. We'll figure out something. Hmm. And then we had a couple of crackers and peanut butter in the cupboard. And uh, so after school, we rode the bus, we got back to the place 
And when we um, were coming in to our back door, there was a set of, uh, there were three pizzas, there was one Coke, and there were like three fishes, and there was bread. I mean, I know it's like the fishes and loaves story, but I mean, literally, these were fishes with eyeballs, and it freaked me out, and there was three of them, and I thought, oh, Michelle, look at this, and she's like, what? And I was like, we got groceries, and she was like, yeah, didn't your mom just like go to the store and like buy it and drop it off, and then, you know, during work, you know, she couldn't get in the door, you know, fast enough to put them away, and I was like, no. No, I don't think my mom did that. So I opened the door and I and I walked in and I called my mom. She was at work and I was like, "Mom, did you give us groceries?" And I didn't know about it. And she was like, "No, no. What kind of groceries?" And so I told her, "Is like there's three frozen pizzas, there's a Coke, and there's three fishes like with eyeballs, <laughs> and and there's a loaf of bread." And she goes, "I have no idea." I started crying because I was like whoa and michelle was like wait a minute you invited me over tonight and you didn't know what we were going to eat for dinner and it just made me laugh i was like yeah michelle i i had no idea what we were going to do i just figured you know crackers and peanut butter she's like yeah i'll be fine with crackers and peanut butter i was like yeah i figured and we were just gonna chill out and have fun and anyways it was really cool the lord provided the need that i didn't even know you know how that would be provided it was just a and lo and behold, it was a neighbor mm. who felt from the Lord and pressed upon their heart that they needed. Uh, they're like, that family needs something. She's a single mom, mm. and I just I want to bless her. And there was no note, but over the course of time, they were like, did you enjoy those fish? And I was like, the fish with the eyeballs? And they were like, yeah, the fish with the eyeballs. And I was like, they're still in our freezer staring at me. But I mean, we cooked them up and ate them eventually. So, I mean, it was you know, beggars can't be choosers. And um, it was really cool that yeah, we were provided with food for the next couple of days. And because one pizza will feed, you know, you one day that, you know, so it was really cool. We had enough for five days. Yeah, absolutely. Worth of food. Any other ways that, you know, Jesus is there with us in joy. He's there with us in moments of sorrow. He's there in moments of provision. Any, any other times that you felt impressed by God, that he's just right there with you in the midst of this emotion that you're going through? He's with us in all emotions. Like whenever you're fired up in the heat of anger and everything like that, Jesus is there. Whenever you're calm, whenever you're asleep, whenever you're awake, whenever you're jogging, whenever you're standing still, I mean, he's with us at all times. Yeah. And always there to be with us and like i've talked <laughs> i've talked to people and they're like i feel so like even christians are like i feel so lonely it's like but you have jesus right you shouldn't be alone because god's with us always hmm. we don't need to have the fear of being alone or missing out from other activities that people are at or uh, not having as many friends as you'd like or people not liking you as much as you want them to we don't need that because as long as we follow Christ, that's all I really need. And I feel like that's what he even says is he, we're all he needs really. And with that, if we get our hearts, not get our hearts right with God, but if we follow God with our whole heart, those things will come into play. You'll get the friends you need. You'll become, you'll, he'll provide for the, your needs and everything like that. Like he will provide friends for you and uh, mentors and yeah, other people, if you don't have a father, he'll provide a father figure and other stuff like that. Because whenever we're with God, 
he's all we need and through him he provides for us yeah absolutely what what, what are you going to share no i was just he, he's all i need it was a song by alvin slaughter yeah, um, yeah he's all i need he's all i need jesus is all i need it just reminded me of that song that i remember singing a lot when i was younger of in my life being completely satisfied with Christ Jesus as who he is because he is enough. He is all I need. Yeah, absolutely. The The theological term that we use for this is God is omniscient. He's everywhere present. Yet that seems so technical and so uh, like scientific almost to the point where I, I don't really identify God as being with me everywhere because it just seems like a, a sterile uh, type of a term. But yet I think the way we're describing Jesus right now in these intimate moments of our lives helps us to see he is omniscient. And that's not a sterilized term. That is exactly who he is. He is with us at all times. And that's a joy. That's a good thing for us. That's also a good thing for us, even in the midst of the worst pain or suffering we've ever been through, because He's identifying with us in those suffering moments as well. And I just find that invigorating and not so sterilized and isolated that I, I feel abandoned or alone, which we'll go into here in just a second. Uh, we're, our reading today, scripture reading, is John chapter 11. John chapter 11, verses 28 through 37. And Xavier is going to read that passage of scripture for us. John chapter 11, verses 28 through 37. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved, and his spirit and greatly troubled, and he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? This is the reading of God's word. Two points that I want to look at today. The first one is the whys and if onlys. The whys and if onlys. And the second part I want to look at is Jesus wept. The whys and if onlys come from this verse in 32 where Mary asks Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Tragedy strikes. We forget those things that tie our loving God to us. The next step is, is we start looking to the wise and if only God's intervention. We forget the moments that he was actively working on our behalf with us and actively in front of us. And we start ignoring him. The depth of the pain becomes so great in this tragic moment that we ignore God and begin to feel like we were abandoned by God. All the while he is right there with us. The feelings of abandonment then turn into questioning. Why? Why me, God? If only you would have, but before, so and so didn't have to go through these kinds of things. Why do I have to go through them? And these questions fester inside of us and the questions go unanswered. And as they go unanswered, 
we forget what the word of the Lord says. Believing we are more important than we really are, we then blame. If God was really love, he would have never allowed this to happen. If God was real and active, then this wouldn't, tragedy would have never happened in the first place. If God really cared for me, then he wouldn't allow me to go through these moments. And that's the way we go from a tragedy leading us to complete unbelief in who God is. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, I think, speaks to this passage in a way that we forget whenever we're, um, whenever we're trying to identify with what God is saying to us in these moments. So James chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, Xavier, if you'll read that for us. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is not this your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you have fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. To spend it on your passions. I'm going to ask a question that is a yes or no question, and I want a little bit of more of an elaboration if that's possible. But this question is, do you ever get distracted let me start over again. Yes. Do you ever get distracted <laughs> from God's truths because of your circumstances? Yes, I mm-hmm. have. Does this make you a horrible person? Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. You would <laughs> <laughs> yes. Or does this just make normal. you normal? It normal. makes you normal. It does make you normal, but you still feel like a stupid for not, Durr. hello, wake up, God's right there. I knew that, but in the moment, I forgot. I, uh, I don't know, you just like self-inflict really fast. And, yes. and then it's like a, remo- a moment of repentance of, Lord, forgive me. Mm. It's just, why was I not quickened in my soul to be so fast to go, Lord, you've gone before me. You've provided you there. You This situation did not even phase you because you knew it was going to happen. But in my belief, I temporarily stopped believing like, you know, what am I going to do? How am I going to do that? You know, where's the money going to come from? Da, 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 da. You know, so many questions. And then you're just like, they're going, why? And absolutely. Then cry. And then cry. <laughs> yeah. Why not? <laughs> Uh, this makes us totally normal. This is a human characteristic that we have done through the ages and we continue to do here in the 21st century. We get distracted from God's plan. We get distracted from God's truths because of our modern day circumstances. We like to then thrust blame on someone else, something else, or even on God himself. And this seems to be our natural reaction. And I I know, I've heard preachers, I've heard people say before, time and time and time again, you should never do that, you should never do that, you should never do that, you should always trust in God. However, to be completely transparent and vulnerable, I don't. I don't always just trust in God. There's those moments that I have doubt, I have fear, I get caught up in um, the, the thought of I'm not worthy, or there's no way this would really work out for me, or there's no way God would really love me this much. And I, I get caught up in those things myself, yet there are steps that I then start taking in order to rise above the circumstance that I put myself in and start looking at God's commandments, his instructions, his precepts, his truths. And so that's what my next question is, is what are the steps that you take 
in order to rise above the self-importance and put God back into the proper place that he's supposed to be in. Uh, when I uh, got a uh, got job in airport and they just uh, uh, fired me because of my tattoo, so I'm just so upset. Mm. Like, why did you do that with me? Like, God, I'm just asking a question. Uh, to the God, like, why did you tell this to me? <laughs> like, if you don't want to give this job, then why you have opened the door to get the training in Chandigarh? Uh, I will never think about it that you're going to do these things from, for me. Mm. So I'm just really crying and crying. And suddenly I just realize what I'm doing. Maybe it's not the right time. So God knows our desire. But after, later, then after one year, he has provided me a job like in airport. And it's so... Like, he knows our desire. He knows my heart. So we have to wait sometimes. Absolutely. We have to wait sometimes. So sometimes that is one of the steps that we have to take is patience. Yes. Absolutely. Very good. Mm -hmm. What are some steps that you've taken in your life? To reprioritize. I mean, personally, I've, I don't call or message someone immediately. Like if I hear... Mm -hmm. good news and or devastating news and or mediocre news, my first reaction isn't to let me blog about it, let me tweet about it, let me um, SMS someone immediately what just happened. I have to first and foremost think it through because I don't always know how I feel when in a in conversations, sometimes it's an uneasiness. So sometimes I become quiet. And really have to, it's a, it's in the mind, mm. the mindset of, okay, Lord, is this from you? Lord, is this not from you? I mean, I begin to ask myself questions. And then if I do ask the, you know, why is this happening to me yet again? You know, you know then I'm like all that focus back on me instead of back on Christ Jesus, because mm -hmm. he bore everything at the cross. Mm -hmm. He, you know, he gave up his life for us. And so I have to, it's just a mental Mental walkthrough. Okay. Mentally walk through, taking a, time, right, reflecting. Immediate response to add a third party in, so to say, of the conversation. Right. So are there any other things that you do in your life uh, in order to rise above your circumstances and hold Christ in the position that he's supposed to be in? I believe I'm reading the Bible every day is a good thing, especially for growing our faith in Christ. But whenever we do get in that point, whenever we believe we're higher and mightier than God and all that other stuff, if we continue reading the Bible, the Holy Spirit will reveal to us where we're wrong in certain things and how to correct that. Mm. And so that's how, I mean, that's <laughs> that's my trick to do. I'm so joking. <laughs> but that's how I feel uh, and even if we're not reading the Bible, just in moments of prayer or something like that, and the Holy Spirit reveals to us we're in the wrong, that's whenever I feel that's... Just a conviction. Yeah. I mean, it's just a conviction of the Holy Spirit through reading the scriptures or pre during prayer time or in your daily life, or you're just talking to a person that you that may not even believe in God. And the way they act during that time, you realize, wait a minute, I'm in the wrong here. And they're not even of the same faith as I am. And yet they're doing some, They're doing a little bit better than I am. And I need to get my heart right with God real quick. That way I can be a good witness for Christ towards, towards this person and towards every person. 
I like what Blair and Xavier have said. Uh, definitely are ways that I take steps in order to reflect back and reorganize my life in order to make sure God is first, make sure my wife is second, make sure my kids are third uh, in the priorities of my life. Uh, another thing that I'm not good at uh, as far as maybe looking on the outward side of it, but I do reflect on in my heart is I allow others to speak into my life. Sometimes something occurs in my life and I allow uh, the words of what someone has said to minister to, to me so that that way it does draw me back into reprioritizing my life. Everything else you guys have spoken about of what I've wrote down, allow others to speak into my life, take moments of solitude, meditation, keep reading the Bible, read other books that speak the truth and not justify the false narrative that I'm creating in my life. Listen, slow down, reflect. These are all great things for us to make sure that we allow God to be first in our life and not just ask those why questions. Why, why, why? Or if only, or why me, God? Uh, these, are, these are great ways to help us overcome uh, and continue to be those overcomers. Point number two is that Jesus wept. He wasn't paid to mourn like many of those that were coming with Mary in this passage of scripture that we read. Many of these were professional mourners that would have been paid in order to come along and mourn with Mary, uh, cry and help her feel comforted uh, by crying with her. Jesus wasn't upset with Mary's question. Jesus, as 100% man and 100% God, reveals to us the fact that he is sorrowful because Lazarus died. He's raw. He's hurt. Seeing Martha and Mary, the way they were distraught, causes an emotion shown in him that is brought out through groans and tears and weeping and, and things that are just so commonplace with what we see of somebody in complete, utter, distraught sorrow. He doesn't cover his face. He doesn't go off to a private place in this moment. He doesn't go up on the hill and pray for a little while. Jesus, right there in the middle of the community, shows his love in public for Lazarus, for Mary, and for Martha. Today is no different. He shows us the same thing today, how much he loves you and me. So a few questions. Is it okay for us to be sad? Yes. yes. Is it natural for us to miss a loved one who has died? Yes. yes. Is it okay for us to cry? Yes. Wait, Xavier, men don't really cry. Well, then they're not real men. Real men cry. Real men cry. Real Why? Real men show emotion. Real men show their... I, I believe that a real man is not afraid of what others stereotypically think of him. A, man, a real man should be able to cry yeah. whenever he's sad. And instead of forcing us and forcing the thought that all men should never cry because, you know, we're men. We need to stand up and show a strong face. But we also need to cry. Absolutely. There are there is a point in time when we do need to mourn for those loved ones. Mm -hmm. Is it natural for us to hope or wish circumstances were different in these moments of sorrow? Yes. yes. So knowing Jesus identifies with my sorrows, does this bring comfort to you? Yes. Yeah. In what way? Always. I mean, it shows that he's always with us whenever you have close friends or something like that and there's a death in the family or someone or something bad happens and then they leave you. 
because oh well this person's no longer who they used to be anymore so they're no longer a good friend instead of being there to encourage you and be there with you some friends or people that you feel like you can depend on just disappear out of your life because it's too hard for them but God never does that right it's never too hard for God he's always there with us and that's why it brings I feel it brings comfort in my life is that even whenever people leave us and forsake us, God never will. Yeah, absolutely. When we're at our ugliest, God doesn't then run away from us. He's still right there beside us, walking with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aisha has a passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount in the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who mourn. Why? They'll be comforted. Isaiah 61, 1 through 4 is another passage of scripture that God really speaks to us in in moments like this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins, they shall raise up the former devastations, they shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Wonderful. Jesus read this passage of scripture that Blair just read when he was in the temple, when he was first coming into his ministry as a 30-year-old man. And when he finished, he closed the scroll, sat down, and said, this passage of scripture has been fulfilled today in the reading of the word. Meaning he is the fulfillment of that. He is the one that brings forth healing in those moments of sorrow. He is the one that restores, rebuilds, replenishes He is the one that brings us in those moments of horrible sorrow, debilitating uh, issues. He's the one that brings forth healing. He's the great physician. He is the one that is our Redeemer, our Lord, and our Savior. And that gives me great confidence. So I want to ask, Xavier was kind of leading to this before we got into the passage of scriptures. Is it possible for sorrow to become debilitating? Yes. Mm -hmm. How can someone escape or be rescued from this type of overwhelming sorrow. Comfort. You have to fully mm. put it into God's hands. You have to, yeah. I mean, you have to release it. Yeah. And that's yeah. daily. Mm-hmm. It's not a quick one and done. It's a, it's daily because there's time frames, there's time stamps, so to say, that bring back an occurrence of our sorrow. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, even when you know in your mind, okay, I've already. I've given that to Christ, right. but that time stamp or that time day of, hey, whoa, wait a minute, or even sometimes an odor yeah. or a smell will trigger back that thought, and it's like, huh, I thought I released this to Christ. I thought I gave him everything, and in that moment, you self-reflect. You, Lord, if there is something that I am still keeping inside of my heart, Mm-hmm. Help me. You're right here walking with me. Help me, Lord. I need you. Absolutely. I fully agree. Because I know so many people out there say things like, is Christ really enough? Is he really my solution? Isn't there more that needs to be done? 
What about the work that I have to do? What about, and, and they ask all of these questions. In those moments of sorrow, that's not what Christ is. He is our, as you already said, our comfort. He is that comforting arm that we want to touch our shoulder or uh, that hug that we so desperately want when we're sobbing and, and in sorrow. He is that comfort and we can take pride and joy and be fully aware of his presence in our lives that will help us so that that way we for all of eternity will be comforted in him and him alone. In those times of sorrow, we can even show God's comfort because whenever you personally go through a time of sorrow and you trust him and you give it all to God, even though it's a daily choice, you get and you know someone else who's going through sorrow similar to you, uh, be like Christ and go and comfort them. Hmm. The Holy Spirit is there. Even if they're not believers, just be there for them. Be a person to listen. And you may not always be dependable because not all men is dependable. But be uh, the best example of Christ you can be and be there for a person who is in their times of sorrow and need. And sometimes that doesn't even mean talking, right? No, we it just means always, to listen. Yeah, sometimes we're always trying to give an answer. No. And sometimes the answer is just being in the room. Exactly. Just be there with the person in general. You don't have to talk. You can just sit there with them. They don't have to talk. You could just sit right by that person and they will feel the comfort of the Holy Spirit upon them, even though you're not saying anything. Yeah. Because actions sometimes usually do speak a lot louder than words. And I definitely think in this moment, Jesus groaning, Jesus weeping, I think that spoke so many things to Mary and Martha beyond Jesus giving a command in that moment or saying, this is the truth or hold this to be just his groaning, his weeping mm -hmm. was an identifier of I'm right here with you, Mary. I'm right here yeah. with you, Martha. Nothing's going to stand in between us. Yeah. We will walk through this together. And even in his, in his weeping, it also, we always say Jesus is hundred percent man, hundred percent God. We sometimes forget about the 100% man. But whenever you read this scripture and the fact that Jesus wept, hmm. he was so sorrowful that he wept. Like that shows how much of the characteristics of man he had in him. Like he already knew that he was going to raise him from the dead, but he was so moved in that moment that his 100% man came out and he mourned and wept for Lazarus. Right. Yeah, absolutely. There's a minor prophet in the Old Testament. His name is Zephaniah. And he wrote this at the end of uh, the third chapter, Zephaniah chapter 3, 14 through 20. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. 
He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all your oppressors and I will save the lame and gather the outcasts and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in. At that time, I will gather you together for I will make you renowned and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. I find that so beautiful because it brings forth a hope. And in the moments of sorrow, in those moments when things are just so bad that we're groaning and we're weeping, we can believe on what Zephaniah wrote to us in order to describe who the Lord is, of where our hope lies. Our hope lies in the future. Our hope lies in the Lord. So knowing Jesus identifies with our sorrows, knowing Jesus identifies with our joys, knowing that he identifies us with moments when we need to be provided for, these all bring us comfort. These all bring us satisfaction. These all bring forth a fulfillment in our lives. And that's a beautiful thing. So today we see Jesus, our gracious King, proclaim his love for us through weeping. He is present with Mary and Martha in the midst of their pain. He identifies with them and more because his tears are out of a loss for a brother whom he loves. These truths remain with us. Jesus weeps with us when we weep. He rejoices with us when we rejoice. He is God. He is also my brother and I can trust in him. If you haven't yet asked Christ to be your God, rejecting all other idols and gods, I want to invite you to believe on Jesus, accept his love, and make him master of your life. Mallory, will you close us in prayer? Thank you, Jesus, for today and every single day, and that nobody will die anymore, and that everybody will stay, will survive through COVID-19 and that nobody else gets sick in Jesus' name, I pray, amen. Amen. Amen.